Welcome to the Sovereign Grace Church Sermons Podcast. Enjoy the sermon by Pastor Jason. Sovereign Grace Church is a Bible-based, gospel-centered church. Please enjoy. We're going to continue in prayer using Alistair Begg's book, Pray Big. It's a great book. It, uh, you can probably get it really cheap if you want to pick it up and read it yourself. It's awesome. It's, it'll really help your prayer life, I promise. It's it's really been helpful to me. Um, I've been looking forward to this one. Probably actually more than I was looking forward to last week uh, when I talked about praying for riches. I've been looking forward to the one that says pray for power. Because uh, if there's one prayer that's been skewed in the modern church, it's the prayer for power. Um I've prayed for power in all kinds of crazy ways that don't have nothing to do with the power that we're talking about tonight. The the charismatic and Pentecostal movement uh, will pray for power in the form of uh, emotional feelings and actions and wild services and all these other things. Uh, Dominionists Pray for the power to take back territory because they believe that they can reclaim the seven mountains of entertainment and and all these other things, education and, school, and, and government. They believe they can take back these mountains and once they take back these mountains, that's when Jesus returns. We don't pray for power in that way. The, the Word of Faith and NAR pray for the power to work miracles. Beg... If you know Alistair Begg, you already knew he wasn't going in that direction. And the direction he goes in is so good. And I think it could really help and impact our prayers uh, if we'll, we'll, we'll dig into what he says. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read our two sets of verses that we've been using. Now hear the infallible inspired word of God. Ephesians 1, 16 through 21 is where we'll start. And then we're going to go to Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of His glory He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church 
and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, that it is infallible, inspired, and inerrant, that it stands the test of time, that we can count on what it says as being the truth, that it is a reliable collection of historical documents written down by eyewitnesses in the lifetime of other eyewitnesses, and it testifies to supernatural events prophesied in Scripture. It's true, and we can count on it. Father, remove the veil so that we may see clearly what you have to say to us through these words. And God, help us to grow stronger in our prayer lives through what you teach us tonight. Holy Spirit, illuminate this for us. Let us retain it and use it in our daily walk and in this discipline that is so important, prayer. Sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. In Christ's name, amen. So we're going to focus in on Ephesians 1, uh, 19 through 21. That's where it talks about this power that we're supposed to be praying for. Um, it says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might? That He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So, if we're going to pray for power, we need to know for sure what power we need to pray for. Um, so, based on the scripture, what power? There are three types of power that we lean on and, let, and, and we want to mark our prayers as we pray. The first is this. Resurrection. Verses 19 and 20 is very clear. And what is the immeasurable greatness of the power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might? And we can't stop there because He's fixing to explain Himself. That He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. That's the resurrection. The next thing is the exaltation. That's a theological word for the fact that Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father right now on the throne, alive and ruling. And that's where he continues in verse 20. He says, And seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And the third power is dominion. Not our dominion. Christ's dominion. Let's look at verse 21. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So, we need to look at each one of these individually so that we can understand how these different things can mark our prayers. Um, first, look at the resurrection. Um, as I was looking at and thinking on the resurrection, one thing that really came to mind for me is the fact that the resurrection of Christ is not just a moment in Christian history. I think sometimes maybe we kind of isolate it in our own heads that it's just a moment in Christian history. It's the important thing that happened for Christians. But it's actually world history. Um the resurrection of Christ actually split time as one of the greatest events in all of history. 
because it literally rocked the modern world. It rocked the Roman Empire when it happened 2,000 years ago when he rose from the grave. So it wasn't just a great thing for Christians that we read in our Bible and that's the only effect that it has. It has a, a, a effect that echoes throughout history and we see the effects of it um, in, all over the world. Um, we need to get it straight. Jesus was killed on the cross. He died on the cross. He was put in a grave. And then he wasn't there anymore. He rose from that grave. He was resurrected. He was resurrected. And that is what Peter preached boldly on the day of Pentecost. Acts 2, 32-36, it says, and this is Peter, he had been testifying of Christ and he had been setting the stage for what he's fixing to say. And he's fixing to say the, probably the most important statements that he said in the whole sermon because he's fixing to get to the gospel because he could preach part of it, but now he can preach the full gospel because he's fixing to talk about the mediator and how Christ can stand as our mediator. He says, this Jesus... God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. So he's talking about the Jesus that they killed just a few weeks before. This Jesus, he was raised up by God. And it says, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now what's so interesting about this is the fact that this is the same Peter who just weeks earlier was a weak and utterly destroyed man because he had denied his teacher, his person he loved he loved him the most, and he had lost him just a few weeks before. How did he suddenly find the strength to give this statement in front of all these men in Jerusalem? It was the power of God. He talks about how this is the Holy Spirit. Begg points out that the same power that raised Peter's Lord from the dead had just raised Peter. It just lifted him up with the strength to tell the truth and give the gospel to these men. And we know that, that later on that they were cut to the heart and they came and they said, what do we need to do? And men were saved because of this power. Because we got to think about it. That power stems directly from the resurrection of Christ. If there is no resurrection, and without the power of that resurrection, there is no written New Testament. These men would not have died 
if there's no resurrection. These men would not have spent their life's blood, lost everything precious, and written these words if there was not power and truth in the resurrection. There is no power in the message of the gospel. Because what is the point of the gospel? We understand that we have a Creator who requires certain things. We understand that we're men who are sinful and cannot do all of these certain things that would be required for us to be made righteous in ourselves. And the power of the gospel is that Jesus Christ came and He died and He rose again. And now we can be saved and He, can be, and he is our mediator. And the thing is, there is power in the resurrection, but He's not just risen. Let's look at the exaltation of Christ. We say it every service. And I pray that we believe it more deeply each time we say it. He is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there He will come to judge the living and the dead. But He is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And that part of our... That part of our creed is so important because we need to understand that Jesus is currently seated on the throne at the right hand of the Father. And His ascension to that point proves something very important. The power of it could change our hearts and our lives if we'll, if we'll grasp a hold of it. It'll change our prayers for sure. The ascension of Christ proves that His sacrifice was accepted by the Father. It was absolutely sufficient. Hebrews 10, 12 and 13. But when Christ had offered for us all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until His enemies should be made a footstool for His feet. He is seated in power as King beside God the Father right now. Our redemption is absolutely sure. There is power in the fact that He is seated at the right hand of the Father because our redemption is absolutely sure because He is still seated there. There is no other work for Him to do to redeem men who would repent and trust in Him. We are saved. And it's true. And it's proven. And then Beg asked questions that I, that I think is a, a pretty fun question to ask. Well, what is he doing now? And that's where we come into the next part of the power that we need to let mark our prayers. Dominion. Christ is currently ruling over all things. Ephesians 1.22 says, And He put all things under His feet and gave Him His head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Hebrews 1.3 says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, 
he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Beck says, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, not to rest, but to rule. So he has all authority and is working all things for the good of his church. That's what he is doing right now. The dominion he has is unquestioned. On page 69 it says, So when we approach the heavenly throne in prayer, embarrassed by our sin, bedraggled by our burdens, weakened in our inadequacies, we discover it to be a throne of grace. We approach it in the awareness of the fact that the one who upholds the universe and governs his church helps its members. So, we see the, the, the power that, that should mark our prayers. The resurrection of Christ. The exaltation of Christ. The dominion of Christ. What's the key there? Christ. His power. Not my power to do anything. Not my power to get stuff. Not my power to gain wealth. Not my power to gain health. Not my power to take over these mountains. None of that. None of that is what should mark my prayers. My prayers should be marked by the power of Christ Jesus Himself as displayed in His resurrection, exaltation, and dominion. He is ruling right now and reigning. So, what is the key to seeing the effect of this in the believer? How can we see God's power true power, not not the fictional stuff that they show us on TBN. The real power. How do we see that begin to take effect in our lives and in our prayers? I think it's this. I think it's that we, we look at the verse that says, we must see the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe. All of this power that is exerted by Christ points one place. Our redemption. His resurrection was to save us. His exaltation is to absolutely set in stone the fact that He has saved us. And His dominion is what keeps us and one day will return to take us with Him. That is the power that begins to have an effect on us and our prayers. So what does this cause in us? I want to start with a quote from, from Beg on this. He says, it would be that we would live lives of wholehearted action. When we get this in perspective, it changes everything in our view of the world. The immeasurable greatness of His power galvanizes us. Why? Because there is no reason why we cannot obey God, there's no reason why we cannot witness to God. Now, I want you to understand that. Not that that is a call to works. Because it's not a call to works. It's a call to understanding that because of what Christ has done, 
that enables me to be a witness in this world for Him. To live a life where I can seek after holiness in this world. Because I can't do it any other way. Without a Christ focus, without a, a focus on His power and what He's accomplished and what He's doing right now, I'm not going to be able to, to do any of this stuff. This is just a bunch of words on the page without the resurrection, the exaltation, and His dominion and rule in my life empowering me to seek after holiness. And understanding I'm never going to do it perfectly on this earth but because Christ is exalted. It's set in stone. He, nothing is going to pluck me from His hand. I am His. Luke 26, 46-49 says this, And said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This is Luke. A lot of people don't understand that if you took Luke and you read Luke all the way through as if, as if it was the narrative that it is because Luke was very much a narrative and you ended Luke and you picked up Acts, it would be seamless because Luke wrote them both. It's a two-part story. And what he's doing is this is the end of Christ telling him, he says, stay here till you're clothed with power from on high. You see, what we need to understand is we are clothed with power from on high. It doesn't look like what the charismatic movement wants to tell you the power is, okay? It doesn't look like what all of these other sects and, and, and different things tell you the power looks like. The power is one thing. We seamlessly leave Luke, we go to Acts, and we see in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. What, are, what is the power that we're clothed in? We're clothed in the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe that when we are saved, we are also filled with the Holy Spirit. And He begins the process of sanctifying us as well. We are clothed with power from God because that is the promise given to us because of the resurrection of Christ. Jesus said, I'm going to the Father, His exaltation, and I'll send another comforter. And that's the Holy Spirit. And, it's, and He's in us. And He's with us. We are given the power and we can be witnesses to that power. Now, the power isn't so that we fall on the floor. The power isn't so that we laugh hysterically and babble on vain babblings. It's not so that we can cluck like a chicken. And that's not just when I'm pulling out a hat. I've got personal experience here. That's not the power of God. That's, I would say, strange fire. And, 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 and dangerous. Beg says it so clearly as he looks, and as we look at the disciples 
I think we can agree because we are Bible people. We read the Word of God and we see the effect of what happened this day for them. When they were endued with power from the Holy, the Holy Spirit came and He was upon them and He lived with them. And now as all of the believers begin to be filled, we're, we're now filled with the Spirit. And what happens is what Beg says. He says, with that power, they could do anything in the cause of God's Son. They could do anything. They could endure any fire. They could endure any stonings. They could endure any persecution, hatred, awful thing that came against them because they were endued with power by the Holy Spirit. Paul prayed for that kind of power for the Ephesians. He said, I pray that you would see this immeasurable power that is yours because of what Christ Jesus has done in His resurrection, His exaltation, His dominion. What He has given you, what He has empowered you with because of what He has done. We should pray for that power for ourselves. God, let me constantly see the resurrection of Christ and what it has accomplished for me. Let me constantly see you as God seated on the right hand of God the Father. And you are ruling and reigning right now. And you have all authority. I love the advice Beg gives on it. I really loved this chapter. If there's any chapter I recommend out of this whole book, this one's one of the best. He said, When I look at myself, I see my powerlessness, and it holds me back. I think about myself. How's it going for me? Am I doing well? Can I manage this? Is this too much of a risk? I need to look at Christ. Not see Him as a Galilean peasant wandering around, but see Him as the ascended King seated in a position of authority above all rule and authority and power and, and dominion and above every name that is named. That's what I need. It is the supremacy of Christ which is the basis of safety and security for the Christian. Do you know anyone else who can forgive your sins? No, but you do not need to. Do you know of anyone else in the universe who has, the power, who has conquered death and opened up the way for you to pass through death? No, but you do not need to. Do you know anyone else who is directing things for your good, who knows the worst of you and loves you nevertheless, even though to be always working for your good. No, but you don't need to. We could search and search and search the world over for more power in this world. But we don't need to. All of the power for life and godliness is contained in Christ. And it is explained to us so well in Scripture if we'll just trust what this Bible says and not what began to be prevalent in the 1800s and 1900s trying to say that we needed more than what this says. Does this mean to lean on Him in this way and let go of our own power and our own desire to do things on our own? Does this mean we're weak? I would say no. 
I would say it makes us stronger in Christ when we point to Him as the one with the strength, not us. You see, we will suffer, and we we will mourn, and we will doubt in this life. But if we are in Christ, we will still bow. Though we suffer, mourn, have pain, have doubts, have times of, of sinfulness, have times that we need to struggle and battle through different things in our lives, mental anguish, all these issues, though we have those things, we will one day, we will always still bow. And we will bow beneath His ultimate rule and authority, knowing that God is sovereign. And that nothing surprises Him. Pray daily for the power of the resurrection, the exaltation, and the dominion to empower you to live a life just being a faithful follower and witness. One thing that's really struck me lately is this. don't need any earthly fame. Don't, we don't need any high platforms. We need to live an ordinary life for Christ. Because that's going to make an impact on eternity. Why? Because it'll make an impact on our fellowship. It'll make an impact on our kids. It'll make an impact on our spouses, on our friends, on those around us. Just live a life where we pray, God, because of what Christ has done for me, the fact that He is seated at the right hand of the Father, sets that in stone for me, and You rule and You reign in my life, just let me live this life as a faithful follower and witness of the great things that you have done. I want to end in prayer, reading Beg's prayer, and then we'll continue with ours. Gracious God, thank you that it was in my need that Jesus found me, that in my weakness he lifted me up into the shelter of his fold, and that when I call to you in Jesus' name, you hear me and save me from all my troubles. When I am fearful and failing, grant me to know the immeasurable greatness of Jesus. And may His strength, and not my own, be the foundation for my confident obedience of You. God, as we live our lives, help us to constantly seek the power of the resurrection in our lives. Knowing that when Christ raised from the dead, He defeated death. And now we can be raised with Him to brand new life through Him. God, as we see the exaltation, help it to mark our lives knowing that Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. There's no more work to be done to redeem. But He is seated to rule. And He has dominion, authority, and power in this earth. And we are His subjects. And God... We want all of these things, all of this power through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, sanctifying us, 
to mark us. To make us faithful followers and loud witnesses with gentleness and respect to the awesome power that you have placed within us for the reason that the hope is in, is living in us. God, help us to see Jesus. And that is all the power that we need. Father, we pray for any that we may encounter that may not know you. God, that we could be a witness to the power of Christ in their lives as a necessity. God, that we can show them the way to repent and trust in you. That we may show them the gospel eloquently and with all understanding so that they would seek to know you. And that lives will be changed, not by any cool thing that we do, but by the power of the Holy Spirit convicting hearts. God, that you would give men with hearts of stone, hearts of flesh. Father, let the words that we speak to those around us as we're a witness for you, cut them to the heart. Let it be a trouble to them. Let it be an offense to them that they cannot let go so that they will repent and trust in you. Sinner, you must turn to Christ. He is your only hope. Father, we thank you so much for the power that we see only in you and not in us. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.